Welcome to the Sales Career Leveling Podcast. Each show is dedicated to the sales professionals that are driven to advance their professional sales careers. Whether that be growing in their sales, management, or leadership roles, or climbing any part of the sales org chart. Each week, we'll be discussing sales, sales management, and sales executive leadership topics, as well as the sales career advancement, best and worst practices we should all be aware of. All right, guys, welcome back to the show. Today, we've got Richard S. Baird in the house. Richard, how you doing, man? I'm doing good, Mike. Thanks for having me. <laughs> right. Hey, thanks for coming on. We haven't seen each other in some time this since you uh, abandoned us here in Texas. This is true. I'm trying to work my way back. <laughs> there you go. Hey, for uh, those of you guys that haven't checked out the YouTube channel, you're missing out on this glorious background where, let's see, right here you see the kids doing their little artwork on the wall. They got to beat him for that one. <laughs> How are things uh, out in your neck of the woods? Just plugging away, doing the thing. Um, still guys, loving, loving the game. You guys had uh, had a pretty serious scare with the uh, coronavirus and all the civil unrest. This 2020 has been really extreme, especially in this region. Um, yeah. We're talking rolling from high counts of corona all yeah. the way to protests behind Georgia. I think we were the last city to stop protesting. <laughs> um, it was very interesting to watch. Kept it going. Yeah. Months right. after everyone had given up. See if I can find a better background there. That's okay. All right, man. So you're you're actually in Vancouver, Washington, though, right? That's correct. So I, but, I live in Vancouver. It's you, but um, you work in Portland. Correct. Okay. Yeah, Portland was going crazy. Yeah. Things good out there now? It's calmed down. Um, just like many other places where we're experiencing the second or third wave of, of cases. and um, mm -hmm. But I've been impressed with how they've handled it. I mean, no hesitation to shut it down. I mean, we're back in somewhat of a lockdown um, we've definitely closed dining and gyms and movie theaters and all that. So it, it, I like how they've been going about it. Yeah. Cool. And, and are you at a, at a home office or office office? Where are you at right now? We are, I'm, I'm in the office, but only because I have my own space. Mm -hmm. Um, and even with that, we're at a limited capacity. I think the, the number from the governor was 25%. So we split the building into quadrants and how many people can be in each quadrant of the building at every, any given time. And I like being here for the face-to-face. -face. It's a lot easier to manage hiring managers when you can go Not like right stand on. in front of them. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think? I need your feedback right yeah. now. Yeah, I like I need an answer. Stop ignoring me. Yeah, <laughs> you spoke to that person two days ago. What's exactly. the hold up? Make a decision. Th yeah. Does that happen a lot in, in the recruiting that you do? Um, it does. I mean, I've <laughs> recently updated an SOP where I've included that forty-eight hour turnaround on everything from phone screen notes to 
uh, interview feedback. I, I need to get back to this candidate within two days. And even in that case, sometimes that's too long mm. um, because people Fine. have options. The, the, the market right now, people have options as far as positions or where they can go, companies they can work for. And a lot of companies, and I, I imagine some of it is out of desperation, are doing same day offers. Man. So you go in, you interview, and they're on the spot. Yes. When can you start? Yes. We're running background check, all of that stuff. We're doing and, it. And, and um, it'll all be clear within, you know, 72 hours. Correct. How about and so, Monday? Especially on your mid-level positions, you're going to lose them. What are, what are examples of those mid-level positions? So anything to, for me, anything that's not senior leadership. So uh, supervisors, maybe not as high as department managers, but people with experience. So beyond entry level, but not senior management. Okay. Um, Mid-level positions, they're going to be gone. They have experience, they're qualified, and they're interviewing places. there's a talent shortage. So yeah. being, being able to make the decision quickly, even if it's a no, that's the one thing that I've been really trying to emphasize to hiring managers is if we are going to say no, let's get there. Yeah. If you're uncertain and but let's not play the game, you're uncertain, that should be a no. Yeah. When you yeah. meet someone and you're, you're really feeling it, that needs to be a yes. And let's just do it. And we'll kind of, we'll sort through the background, drug screen, all that stuff on the back end. Mm-hmm. And I've also, you know, thanks to you, I don't oh. do reference checks anymore. So <laughs> I've, I've killed that. They used to have a reference check process here that took a while just to do the outreach and wait for the person to call back. No more reference checks. Why would I give you someone that's not going to say positive things about me? Yeah. Exactly. The, the reference, the references that um, a candidate provides, they've been prepped. Um, yeah. And so if, if you're only hoping to, if you're going into it expecting only good things, then that's all you're going to get. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really, that's the only reason to do the reference checks that they have provided. Mm-hmm. Now, Backdoor reference checks. I see that you worked at, um, I don't know, XYZ company in this area. Mm-hmm. They have a small outfit there. So I'm going to call them and ask about you, granted only if you don't work there anymore. <clears throat> I find I might get some really good information there. Um, obviously, ensuring that everything is staying off the record. Um, most, most organizations, they're going to shy away from providing you anything more than confirming that they work there Mm -hmm. and confirming the dates of employment. Right. Why am I going to waste three days or or a day waiting on that information? Right. Uh, The fact is if that, if that's all we need, we can do a, uh, with permission, gather, uh, full name, social security number, and and pull that information directly from the IRS. We can see right. employment records there. So, um, yeah, I, I, the only time I'm doing um, 
reference checks is if it's an absolute must, but we're not going to have any surprising information. You know, Richard says, talk to Mike. Mike's going to say, yes, I know Richard and he's a great guy. And he walk, he, he, he falls <laughs> just shy of walking on water. There you go. You know, hey, if, if that's what you need to make a decision, um, I, I think we're, we're basing it on the wrong information. I'm curious. So, so feedback sometimes is slow. From from your hiring managers and and by the way, uh, Richard, you are a corporate recruiter at the moment. That's correct. Um, I know you've been on the outside, um, and, and even previously you've been on the inside. And and we're going to get into the whole how you ended up in recruiting anyway. But <laughs> what I found when I was in corporate recruiting and I had that captive audience of hiring managers that were mandated to work with me, I often pulled the candidate. Okay, I gave you I gave you a day and, and really you don't um, you don't need more information on on that candidate beyond you know all the information that you've been provided before that candidate showed up for an interview and then your extensive interviewing. Um, and if you're using a proper um, tool to to measure and compare then, then um, we, we shouldn't be just wasting too much time uh, on getting, well, I getting think them an answer. That's a really interesting point is if we're using a proper tool to measure and compare. Um, a big part of what I see going on today is there's a, a disconnect. There's a mismatch there. Um, if, if we look at, so I'm a huge sports fan particularly love football. Okay. Um, and we'll talk about that. I'm sure later on, we're talking about the history of how I got into recruiting. Yeah. But um, if you look at the NFL draft and specifically for quarterbacks, one of the, uh, the tests that they do during the combine. So here you are, these are top prospects getting ready to go into the NFL and at the quarterback position, you would think that this is a really intellectually demanding position and they give them a wanderlick test. It's kind of a baseline for concussion protocol and a lot of other things. If you look at the people that have scored the worst on the wanderlick test, I mean, the bottom 10 players in the history of the NFL, yeah. seven of them are Hall of Fame quarterbacks. <laughs> I think we do the same thing with with positions where yeah. we are testing this thing. We're putting a lot of faith into here's what's going to be important. Mm -hmm. It doesn't align with future success. We're yeah. looking for past indicators of future success. And sometimes that's just that doesn't match up. I think it's a lot more uh, useful to look at a candidate's motivators. So why are why do you even like doing this thing? What about it is appealing to you? Mm -hmm. And then if you know you cannot provide to this individual what it is they're looking for, let's not even bother. Mm -hmm. Well, um, so I've got lots of problems with assessments and, and for my clients, I run a predictive index. 
and then even and then on the final candidate and the hiring manager that's going to be directly managing that individual a uh, disk analysis so those two individuals can can see how best to work with one another that's mm -hmm. not that's not a decision tool in my mind um, and neither is any kind of an assessment because it is only one more data set to to look at and evaluate I find far too many organizations are far too, I, I appreciate the fact that these tools are expensive, especially on an enterprise mm -hmm. level, but the cost of the tool should not dictate the weight that is placed on the results of that tool. Right. And, and far too often I'm encountering excellent candidates that have a, a significant um, positive work history and, and and actual documented results, mm -hmm. um, and we can get into W twos. I'm not sure if you guys are allowed to gather those. You're um, not out where you're at, <laughs> um, but most states that I that I have uh, worked in, you know, I, I can still ask for those, um, and and I do primarily sales recruiting. Um, but what, what what happens with an assessment? Initially, we don't have the proper uh, job profile. Correct. We don't. Sometimes an organization doesn't know exactly what is needed. Not not just for the role, but um, but for that individual to be successful in that position. Mm -hmm. And even before that, what does the position need to accomplish? Why are right. we even hiring somebody for this position? Yes, it's sales. We need somebody to sell. Okay, but you've already got a team and, and, and they're all focused on mid cap accounts and maybe mm -hmm. you need to add somebody for enterprise um, or somebody for smaller accounts or somebody that is doing more account management. Um, so to take a blanket uh, um, uh, type approach to all sales positions are alike, it, it, it just, it, it, is, it is not effective. And another thing about uh, assessments, let's say we're going to do a uh, uh, predictive index. It, it is really difficult to fully trust that if an organization hasn't um, tested those at the top, those in the middle, those at the bottom of their organization, of their sales mm -hmm. uh, organization already, so that you can say, well, we have a sample size of 50 individuals that are in the bottom third uh, performance-wise within the organization, and they seem to be performing and testing like this. And the middle, they test and their results were like this. How interesting. There's, there's a commonality there. And then those at the top look like this based on this exam, based on that one moment in time when they took that assessment test. Mm -hmm. And then saying, okay, we know what bottom, middle, and top look like, and we're going to use that moving forward as just another data set to evaluate. But unfortunately, we have, um, and, and I get it, there, there are some great people that interview very well, and they've gotten used to, you know, the one thing that they can sell is themselves mm -hmm. in an interview to somebody in internal recruiting or HR, and maybe even to the hiring manager, and they, and they get through, and then they don't perform. They're, they're, they are a dud. 
So I get the, the desire to want to be over-reliant upon a measuring tool, whatever that measuring tool may be. Right. Um, typically, I recommend, yes, that, that, that we conduct those assessments, but not give them the, because the assessment is, isn't the hiring manager. The hiring manager is the hiring manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and then obviously using interview scorecards is, is a very strong Correct. Um, way to, to remove and, and um, remove yourself and your bias from the mm-hmm. hiring process as best as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. So um, what I find with regard to timely feedback is... Uh, now, now that I'm on the outside, mm-hmm. I don't have anybody applying for any jobs. Right. These all proactive engagement and headhunting <laughs> um, for for these individuals. And when I get a candidate interested in the possibility of making a move, whereas yesterday that wasn't in their minds, the time clock starts and at that moment we we have a limited amount of time before they take another position because now that the 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 thought of possibly leaving their current organization where they are being successful enters their mind they start looking and i've got to beat them to the punch with an excellent opportunity with one of my clients and if we slow down the interview feedback loop far too long, we're, we're, pros- we're going to um, disenfranchise them. They're going to have a negative uh, feeling. I've had one individual who said, you know what? Yes, that was my price last week, but we never heard back from them. I, I-, I want to be at 180. Oof. But okay. sir, you said 140 last week. Well, look, they pissed me off. I don't want to talk to them unless they come back to me at 180. I'm off the table. Right. Excellent candidate. They wanted to hire him at 140. They would not, could not at 180. So they, they missed out. And really it was just because of hemming and hauling. They're waiting too long, dragging their feet because they, they weren't secure in their decision. So there's a lot of psychology that's going into all of this stuff. Yeah, so absolutely. Let's, uh, let's talk about, how you came to be a recruiter. (laughs) Nobody goes to school for recruiting. No, Um, I definitely didn't even know that that was a career option. Yeah. Well, here's the funny thing. I was in recruiting. um, I did it a few summers in in university to pay for school. Mm -hmm. And it was great money, man. You make, I mean, I was working in this program where I had to fill hundreds of positions for summer. So I would fill hundreds of temp positions. It was like three months of work. And it was like, I don't know, in my region, like a thousand people. Mm-hmm. And it was rough. But I would pay for school for the coming year doing that. Didn't know it was recruiting. And then afterwards, I ended up working for that organization full time for four years. Still didn't know that there was a thing called recruiting. Mm-hmm. It was just a job that I was doing. So how how did you uh how did you end up in recruiting and, and take us back? Okay, so way back. I uh 
like so many people my age, graduated college at the height of the recession. And I came out, shiny new diploma, <laughs> no jobs. 2007. Um, okay. So you 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 were like right when it was starting to kick in. Yes. This yeah, was 2008, right. 2009 is like the global financial right. meltdown. So okay. I, I get out and I'm struggling to find work and I'm doing everything that you can imagine. I'm working logistics at a warehouse. I'm steam cleaning kitchens. I drove a school bus for a little bit. With your degree um, in? Molecular biology. Which <laughs> I thought like, I'm a champion of the universe. I'm ready to take on the world. Yeah. Um, and just kind of fell flat. Man, bus so driver. At, yeah, I, I drove a school bus for a little bit. And then, then that gig kind of dissipated. Uh, the hours were just terrible. It yeah. was a split shift. Um, Waking up at the ass crack four hours of a dawn. Day. Right. I worked two hours in the morning, two hours in the afternoon, and that was it. Um, so I ended up becoming a corrections officer, Man. which that was kind of a pivotal turning point was... <laughs> Um, anything from bus driver is pivotal right let's just agree on that I end up um, working as a corrections officer and it was this massive social experiment for me right I'm in there they're locked up I'm locked up I I was working uh, 6 to 2 p.m Um, and anyone that's ever worked in corrections there's a lot of overtime so most times I'm working 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. I don't see the sun. They don't see the sun. It was horrific. Um, but I learned a lot about people now, and how they interact with each other. Was, was this like federal penitentiary kind of work? So the this was juvenile detention, but... Juvie Hall. Um this was actual prison for them, not jail. This was, they had gone to court, they had been convicted and they're going to serve their sentence. This ain't a weekend thing. Right. And we housed them, depending on the sentence, we could house them up until 23 years of age. So majority of the people that were there were in the 19 to 22 age range. Yeah. um, Which was... I was surprised when I got in there. I was thinking this was going to be, you know, 14, 15 year olds, these 19 to 22 roughly, and they're serving out a sentence for some of them. These were significant crimes. They were, you know, there were a couple murders. There were a couple, you know, gang related activity. There was a lot of stuff Where were going you? on. Uh, at this point, I'm living in Kansas, I'm living in Topeka, Kansas, and I'm working at a juvenile detention. Okay. Brutal. By, by the way, you're originally from New York. I am originally from New York, went to SUNY Albany in upstate New York and made Brooklyn. my way to Kansas. Brooklyn. Yes, sir. Park Slope. Crown Heights. Crown Heights. Okay. Adjacent. Park Slope's adjacent. <laughs> I could see Park Slope's was up the street and I knew like, if I keep walking in this direction, things get better. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it was adjacent. But it's different. <laughs> yeah, it's different. I'm like, if I go six blocks this way, it's going to be a lot different. I'm going to feel better. I can breathe. <laughs> <laughs> um, so finally, in 2010, so yes, things are really kicking up um, as far, well, or slowing down as far as the economy. And I made the decision, I'm going to join the, the Army. Get into the Army. Um 
and I really needed out. So I I scored really well, and they're like, you can have whatever job you want. And I'm like, what's ASVAB. leaving? ASVAB scored really high on that. What are we? What's leaving next? And they said, well, we're shipping infantry in two weeks. Perfect. Sign me up. Join the infantry. Uh, I'm there doing amazing stuff and i ended up getting injured define amazing stuff in uh, infantry it just sounds like you're walking a lot running a lot doing push-ups for a living yeah which was uh okay yes but also in college i played football so it was kind of a return to physical activity for me yeah and i really enjoyed that aspect of it and then the camaraderie of of just you know here's 150 of your closest friends that we're going to spend we're going to go spend eight months together yeah right and, and everyone's experiencing the same thing yeah um and i make the transition into hr all right and now i'm essentially a personnel clerk well, how doing... did you make a transition into hr from all that physical fun uh you said you injury. had an injury yes i had a knee injury from jumping out of planes so when you go to airborne training you have five jumps that you have to make um, two of them at night three in the daytime to receive the qualification to get the stamp that you can now do this uh, on my third daytime jump big guys fall fast I mean, it's a quick shoot. Um, <laughs> you got the same size shoot yeah, as everybody like, else. As everybody else. You I mean you could be 5'3 or 6'2 and you're getting the same package. Big guys fall fast. And I mean, I, I took a spill, ended yeah. up injuring my knee. Um, but the good thing was I was really liked in my unit and they were like, hey, we're do we don't want to get rid of you. We've got this other thing that you can do. So I started doing HR and I'm doing personnel HR. actions. Yeah. Brutal. Um, kind of walked them through. At that point, the army was transitioning to a digital, a digital personnel management system. Um, so all of the paper files, which they used to keep, they were scanning and everything in triplicate and, kind of thing. Right. You know, the pink copy is yours. The yellow goes to battalion. The white one goes into your, you know, your file, your file. list there. Um, so I transitioned into HR and I'm finally getting out of the army. And here I am, degree, um, HR experience. So I start looking for HR positions. How long, how, how long were you in? Uh, about four years. So this okay. was 2014, at, towards the end of 2014, I'm looking for HR positions. Okay. Um, as I'm sure you know, because recruiting is somehow tied to HR, which it should be tied to marketing. But anyway, it's or tied to HR. Or sales. Or sales even. Um, I'm applying for HR generalist, HR specialist, which means so many things at so many different places and finally I'm, I'm not getting any calls back so i reach out to this company i'm like hey I, I applied you know two weeks ago haven't heard anything just looking for some honest feedback like what what's the issue and she says based on your resume you're overqualified for our hr generalist position but i have a recruiter role open would you be interested 
So and in their point, in their mind, like, HR generalist is here, and then like recruiter is up here somewhere. Correct. Right. And this was Respect. a so I took a position as a recruitment and retention manager. Mind you, zero recruiting experience. I had some, zero retention experience. Zero retention, which experience. is a totally different set of muscles. Um, I had some HR experience, which I guess was what they were sold on, and then just uh, ran with it. I got in there and it was life-changing. I'm like, I didn't know that this existed and I love what I'm doing. Wow. But I also had a commitment to getting better at this thing. And I knew that sitting at the top in position in this company, and I mean, I was recruitment and retention manager. I had an associate recruiter that was working with me. Um, I knew I wasn't gonna get better. So I'm starting to look for opportunities to learn mentorship. What, before that, what did you like about recruiting so much when you jumped into it? The combination of uh, business acumen and just interpersonal skills, right? Just being able to have those conversations and interact with that many people on a daily basis was amazing to me and then also i think i've always had a little bit of the sales itch mm. so there's i can feel that this deal is not going through and i am going i'm gonna make it happen like how do we close the gap and i really loved those things okay so i'm looking for ways to get better i find the uh day hill ad and apply knowing that it's going to require a pay cut um, and it's a it's not a lateral move right this is a, a, a step down for most people <laughs> um, and then during our interview the conversation that we ended up having about by the way he, he's he's mentioning we ended up having that was me so yes. I, I was looking for a recruiter to take all the other recruiting stuff, uh, the operations recruiting, admin jobs, mm. um, even like warehouse and- um, Drivers, installation techs. All the junk I didn't <laughs> want to recruit for. While I was allowed to do sale, continue doing sales recruiting, executive recruiting, and, and then obviously the recruiting management, and then kind of mentoring recruiters at other some other organizations from time to time across the United States. Correct. All right, go ahead. So you apply. I apply and I think, hey, I've got a pretty solid handle on this recruiting thing. Um, I just need, I need a little bit, I need to cut my teeth somewhere. Yeah. Uh, and that first conversation we had, I wanna say it was the phone screen, not even the interview. During the phone screen, you challenged everything that I knew or thought that I knew about recruiting and really got me thinking about the industry. Uh, I think one of the tasks that you assigned was, hey, here's the job description, write me a job ad. Okay. And, okay. and as An most people do, yes. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, you have the job description. Isn't that the job ad? Mm. and just the, the thought process behind how do you make this appeal to the right person uh, make it different think outside the box I knew 
hey, even if I don't get this job, I need to learn from this guy. So at one point, I'm out to dinner um, somewhere right by, right off the highway there in San Antonio. And uh, I call you and I'm like, hey, I know we just did this phone screen a day ago. Um, I'm interested in just learning more from you. Yeah. Regardless of where this goes position wise and you kind of backed it down and I, I guess you were still evaluating but you were like you know if for some reason this doesn't work out yes we we can we can do some kind of mentorship mentorship thing all right um, ended up taking one position. of the things one of the things about recruiting people post job descriptions and think that that's going to get it done and the job description is an hr document Right. It's not an advertisement. And and the example that I use to make the distinction is, all right, back in my day when I was graduating university, I was I was looking for jobs in the newspaper. And the job mm -hmm. advertisement was like a, a, a one inch by a quarter inch mm -hmm. idle and like four words and then the fax number. It was a long time ago. <laughs> so these faxes, it's like a printer <laughs> with a phone in it and it sends paper to another location. It's weird. <laughs> and so it was, uh, that is a job ad. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, and this happens a lot more at large organizations, look up IBM, Xerox, um, and, and any other or massive organization, the blue chips and you're going to find the overwhelming majority of them have a job description posted. And then they have all the legal mumbo jumbo mm -hmm. that most organizations are convinced you have to have. The fact of the matter is you don't, you don't have to have anything in there. And I've had plenty of arguments with, with even employment lawyers that are convinced that you, you have to show that we are an equal opportunity employer. No, you don't stupid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyhow. I get I mean, in trouble for that kind, kind of, of stuff all like the time. breaking it, the concept down and just like life changing. So I accept this position with Dayhill, um, take the pay cut. And from a personal standpoint, I am preparing to take this massive, well, not massive, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing to take a significant cut. So I completely changed my lifestyle. I moved out of my two bedroom apartment, sold all of my furniture, wow. and I moved into a house with three other guys. All right. So I'm now I'm in, I'm, and not only that, I was in the smallest bedroom of the four bedrooms, um, sharing a bathroom with two other guys. One guy had the master with its, its own bathroom. Disgusting. Right. So this was a four bedroom house, two and a half bath, and just guys. And I move into this place, no furniture. Smell it. Um, yeah, with my clothes, <laughs> um, maybe a couple of like, I kept the TV, kept my sound system, you know, real guy stuff. Uh, and I'm sleeping on the floor. And I spent the first- Got no like, bed, but $5,000 in speaker and, and musical equipment. Correct. <laughs> the ones correct. and twos. I, I gotta have it, right? I'm not getting rid of my TV. I'm not getting rid of my, my beats. So I'm sleeping on the floor. And it goes that way for maybe month and a half, two months. Man. And I remember having the conversation with you where you're like, somehow it came up that I'm sleeping on the floor of this place. And I said, I'm going to buy a desk 
before I buy a bed. Like that was my level of commitment to right on. making this thing happen and getting better and refining my craft. Um, and I did, I ended up buying a desk and setting up, you know, my, my little home office before I bought a bed. That was a come up, come up story it right there. It really was. It really was. And in the, that time, I was learning so much and just picking up things um, to add to the raw talent of just being able to converse with people naturally and, and understand positions and understand the logic behind uh, companies and profits and things like that. Yeah. And it really it really made me a better recruiter because okay. I was learning. Um, and that's one of the things that even I, I kind of hang my hat on today is the fact that recruiting is the only industry or in my opinion, the only marketing position that we're willing to say, hey, remember that ad you ran nine months ago? Dig that up and put it back out there. No one else does that. I mean, imagine, imagine lazy. You, yeah. Imagine if you were still watching Coca-Cola commercials from the eighties. Yeah. And that's essentially what we're doing. The, yeah. the consumer has changed. The product is different, but the ad is the same. Breach, man. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's annoying. It, yeah. Everything has changed. And, and, uh, and an advertisement is supposed to be, in my opinion, two things, attractive and unattractive unattractive to the people that that don't qualify for the opportunity if it's a sales role and it's a hunter position talk about what you're going to be doing that some people may not want to do because they're not hunters right they're not accustomed to doing that type of work or they're not comfortable with doing it or they i've had people say that cold calling is dead ain't gonna One get it the, done the most successful ads that i've run recently was a five reasons why this position is not for you. And it, it goes back to that concept of it's unattractive to the people we want it to be unattractive to, mm -hmm. but it's yeah. appealing to the person with the right skill set. Yep. Um, and it just really knocked it out the park. However, one of the roadblocks that you will end up facing. People like to do what's worked in the past. So yeah. when anytime that you're challenging an idea or a concept that has been successful in any way, even if it's moderately successful, hey, we should keep doing this thing because this is how we've done it before. Yeah. Um, so there's, uh. it's really about changing the mindset and explaining, hey, we can do this a different way. We can do it better. We can do it faster. Um, and I, I'm at a point now where I'm building ads with a correlating uh, social media campaign. Okay. So for example, um, right before, during the hype of the uh, Fresh Prince reunion special, I ran a Fresh Prince style job, job posting. Yeah. And the supporting social media campaign was Fresh Prince themed. Um, and that worked really well too. But again, 
the the peaks and valleys of recruiting and just kind of the seasonality things slow down right before back to school or um, the time between Thanksgiving and the end of year is typically a little slower because people have vacations lined up and things like that. Um, as soon as you have a downswing, hey, we need to go back to that old thing because mm-hmm. that worked. Mm-hmm. So there's also sticking it out through the seasonality of recruiting. Yeah. I mean, really sometimes in, in more often than not in sales recruiting, if it's done right, you are proactively recruiting and the job Correct. advertisement is just kind of like another level of legitimacy to say, Hey, I'm calling you about an opportunity. If you want to see it, you can check it out here, but we're going to talk about this. Would you agree that a significant portion of being able to be proactive or maintaining a proactive strategy in recruiting is workforce planning. Like you have to know where your headcount is at all times and where you kind of where you're planning to go to sustain that growth, to be able to say, I'm going to need two more of these people before the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, no. I see struggles there, especially if you don't have the relationship built up with the senior leadership within the company to understand what the growth strategy is. Yeah. I, I, so when we were both at Xerox and, and before I took over sales recruiting nationally, and I was still at the local Texas, Oklahoma um, level, I worked directly with our, uh, our president um, CEO and, and, and Brad would have me in his office, you know, for literally quick three minute, five minute meetings. And I would bring up this long roll of paper that I would have. Remember that? And Mm -hmm. it was basically a sales org chart that would be on my window. And it was massive. It was usually six feet by four feet. Mm -hmm. And, And, um, we would sit down and and look at that org chart and compare it to some massive spreadsheets that he was managing throughout the year and using in Q end of Q3 is when he would start planning for what headcount was going to look like in 2000, whatever the next year was. Mm -hmm. And I would sit with him and we would have a plan to put together many moons in advance for what the sales organization was going to look like in six months or in 12 months. And that would tell me this position that shows account executive, major account executive, strategic account executive, whatever in sales is going to be available in 12 months. Mm -hmm. And, And if you're a proactive sales recruiter, then you know you need to start having conversations. You need to start connecting and and beginning a messaging or engagement campaign um, with individuals in that market for that specific position 12 to 18 months out. Mm -hmm. And, And then when the opportunity comes up, hey, Richard, you and I have been connected for the past 18 months, whatever the time frame is, years, months, Hopefully it's not days and weeks. Um, I've got an opportunity that I think would make sense for you. I'm not quite sure. 
I just left you a voice message. Let's have a conversation to discuss this. Right. And now we're having conversations with an individual that I've been building a low level, low level relationship with over the past year or two years or five years in mm -hmm. some cases. And, and that kind of advanced warning system to, to let us know workforce planning um, really helps to be more proactive than what typically happens in, in recruiting, whether it be corporate or otherwise, is we've got a job, let's start cold calling people, and it's cold because we don't have a relationship. And now it sounds more, um, well, it is by nature more transactional. Hey, you and I have never spoken before, but I'm a sales recruiter <laughs> in this industry and we're currently hiring in your market and I've got this opportunity. Are you interested? And that works to varying degrees. It works better for individuals that are already on looking. the market. Mm -hmm looking and probably looking because of a reason there's a good reason right. typically i find that posting a position kind of the post and pray strategy you are only getting access to the best of who's looking when you're looking mm -hmm. and that may not be the ideal candidate for that role yeah um and, and there's a lot of back and forth um between recruiting and, and companies about candidate experience. And I just think it's a buzzword that people have been using. For me, candidate experience is about is more about the people that I say no to. Yeah. Because if I post for a position and I have, let's just say 80 applicants, I only have one position to fill. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that all 79 of the other candidates were terrible? Yeah. I may need them to come back. I may need to maintain that relationship for the next one. Mm -hmm. And yep. that's really what candidate experience is about is how do you say no? And then how do you treat them once you've said no? Yeah. I think that's part of what it, what candidate experience is about. I think the bigger picture um, where I, where I would push you on that is, Candidate experience, when you think about if we have a position available, how many people can own or, or, or um, take up that position? One. Okay. And, and especially in 2020, if a position is posted, I mean, even I'm getting applicants for positions where sometimes I'll have something posted on my own website. Nobody visits my website. Mm -hmm. That's just a business card. But I'll have some positions open there when I remember to actually post something. And people will apply because they're, at one point we were having a million people filing new claims for unemployment mm -hmm. every week for weeks on end. So there was a, a high level of, of, of applicant uh, activity going on. Now, let's say we have an organization has 500 or a thousand people apply to a position and that is not unheard of. And you're only going to be able to hire one. And the way you treat the, that other 500 or, or 499 individuals could affect the performance of your organization because you have now 499 individuals that didn't hear back from you. Mm -hmm. 
or that did hear back, but didn't weren't treated properly, um, or that, and and eventually may become future clients, future consumers of your mm-hmm. of your products, of your services, or may speak highly of your organization, in spite of the fact that they weren't hired. So. Um, myself and, and another individual that, that used to work with us, um, Alyssa, we would we would put together a, a a campaign, a messaging campaign for individuals that we didn't select. You weren't selected. Uh, we weren't we weren't able to hire you for reason, but we want to help you if you're interested in, in job search resume. You can mm-hmm. use these resources or let me know. I'd welcome the opportunity to have a quick chat with you to discuss how we can help you in your job search. Um, and, and it was kind of like a five minute conversation and one in 500 people might take us up on that, but at least they saw that we were trying. Right. And, and then, you know, one of the things that I tried to do differently, and maybe this was part of my demise was, <laughs> Imagine if you apply for a position and I actually speak with you and you and I speak and maybe you go through an interview over the phone and then face to face back when that used to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe you get deep into conversations, but you're not selected. And all you get back is uh, a a templated email that says uh, you were not selected for the opportunity. We'll keep your information on file. All the best in your job search, in your continued job search. And that's all you get. And we spoke. Well, my requirement for the people that were working for my logo, my requirement was if you spoke to an individual, you call them directly and you tell Mm -hmm. them that they were not selected. And you tell them exactly why. If, If there's a shady reason why, then we got a problem that we got to solve internally. Mm-hmm. We're not gonna we're not gonna tell somebody no because of something that is inappropriate. We're gonna base it on the fact that this person wasn't selected because they didn't meet a requirement, or they weren't the the strongest in that category. And we're gonna tell them that. But a lot of organizations shy away from that because they don't do it well. They don't mm-hmm. say no properly, ethically with exact reasons why and and they just you know what just don't tell them anything and that's it that's that's humanly inappropriate yeah so now that we're talking about this one of the things i did want to talk about was how do you thanks but no thanks an individual and the process that i use i'm going off of memory here basically i will say hey richard you know and, and let's say i don't i don't get you on the phone and and I have to do this via voice message. Mm-hmm. It's something like, hey, Richard, sorry that I missed you. I wanted to let you know you weren't selected for that sales position that we're talking about here in San Antonio or in Austin or Houston, wherever. Now, you weren't selected because during the interview process, that's one phrase, and that interview process is now over. That's another phrase that I would include mm-hmm. because we're, we're putting that, that end to it. You failed to demonstrate 
enough uh, experience in um, working or generating new business in that mid cap market to have been ranked above all others that were in contention for the position. I'm not saying you don't have that experience, but during the interview process, you didn't display enough of that to have been ranked above all others. Um, if you have any questions, any concerns, this is my number, this is my email address, please let me know. I'd love mm -hmm. to have that conversation with you. I wish you all the best. Now, what I'm doing there is uh, I'm giving them specific reasons why he w that person wasn't selected, Richard in this case. And I'm, I'm, I'm being very specific. And I'm also closing the door on the fact that the interview process is now over. And I'm not saying that you don't have it. I'm not talking about you personally mm -hmm. not having that because you very well may have that experience. But during the interview process, which is now over, you fail to demonstrate that um, with a, a level at a level that would have ranked you above all others. I'm reminding you that there is competition in this. Right. So it, it, it can be a very difficult conversation to have. And if I have it live, we're going to take a little bit of time because we took the time. You took the time to go through all of this, to get off of work, to have phone conversations and face-to-face -face interviews. You put yourself at risk. Yeah. And to, to basically tell you no with a template email, that's, that's just wrong. Right. I use something similar to manage or part of what you said reminded me of how I manage salary expectations in the early going. Um, typically, if we're having a conversation, um, I, I live in a, in a region where I'm not allowed to ask what you're currently making. Mm -hmm. So where would you like to be ideally? Yeah, um, I, I say uh, something like um, for any kind of a career move to make sense for you financially. Right. Where do you need to be? So I'm um, having that conversation with them and they give me the number and it's within the range, right? Or there's a posted range if, if we're, we're dealing with a job posting. And obviously hiring manager is thinking the low number, they're thinking the high number. And the phrase that you will get is depending on experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But I like to manage that in the early going. This is not truly depending on experience because if it were, I should be able to look at a resume and say this resume with this level of experience is worth X amount. What it really is, is value shown throughout the interview process. Mm -hmm. So for me, having that conversation with the candidate sets up the end conversation, um, whether they're hired or not selected for the role, you knew that going into this process the offer or potential offer was going to be based on the value shown throughout the interview process. Mm -hmm. So when I, when I thanks, but no thanks someone, um, I, I've carried that with me as far as being able to, if I've spoken to you directly on the phone, or if you've come in and had a face-to-face -face interview, I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to call you. Um, I tend not to leave it in a voicemail because I want, I want to have the conversation. I want to hear what your concerns are. 
um, I want to give you the opportunity to address anything that is said. Yeah. Part two of this is obviously getting accurate feedback from your hiring manager about the reason that this candidate was not selected. And I'm sure we could talk about that for yeah. a while as well. Yeah. But I'll, I'll pick up the phone. Um, and I usually start by thanking them. So thank you for taking the time to interview for this, for exposition. Unfortunately, we had a, a lot of really qualified applicants for this position. And throughout the interview process, you did not display a skill set that, I mean, I'm taking it directly from the Michael G playbook when I was with <laughs> Xerox. Um, and from that point, they may start to question why, and now we're going to get into the specifics and what they could have done differently. Yeah. But that also sets me up to keep in contact with this person. Yeah. And that's something that has worked out successfully in, in previous positions and, and in my current role where you've applied in the past, the way I said no to you left the door open for me to re-engage if and when a position becomes available that is a better fit for your skill set. Yeah, and it was it was an honorable and respectful way to handle that rather than hiding behind some sort of legal mumbo jumbo. And the fact is that many internal, uh, let's say internal counsels gotten to the point in, in many cases where they, they would rather control what mm -hmm. can and cannot be said it, rather than allowing individuals to have uh, human interactions because they feel that there is a higher risk in somebody saying something stupid like you weren't hired because you are black, you are, um, you know, pregnant, you know, you, you're from somewhere else and, and you're not going to be a cultural fit here for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and frankly, the, the, the risk in that is is non-existent if you're hiring recruiters that have you know half a brain mm -hmm. so so you had mentioned um you'd mentioned something you wanted to talk about that i did not understand you were talking about mismatch problems yeah we we touched on it earlier where, okay. where we talked about assessments and just how we evaluate um candidates in the early going yeah. And just part of that, so having been on the outside and now back on the inside, one of the things that I brought with me from uh, agency or headhunting recruiting is the job intake meeting. Mm. And one of the critical components of that conversation is asking the hiring manager directly, what does this individual need to accomplish in the 30, 60, 90 first year to be considered successful. Yeah. Yeah. What do you call good? What, what, what does that look like on your team in that a specific rock star, position? But as defined by who? Yeah. Or, and more importantly, defined by what? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I, I think sales is very unique in that the benchmark is literally dollars and cents, and it's very easy to track and manage. Um, it's a little bit more challenging for, you know, an accounting role where the metric is 
maybe dollars recovered, it's profit and yeah. loss. It's or, or, or risk to the organization mitigated. Mm -hmm. Those things are, are difficult to, to measure properly, but it, it still can be done. Th mm -hmm. There are um, examples from a controller's career that demonstrate an ability to mitigate risk, to pull the levers of an organization to increase gross profit, to um, make a more healthy organization when in terms of uh, EBITDA or, or, you know, manage pricing, things like that. Absolutely. So cool, man. Well, I, I've definitely enjoyed this conversation. Likewise, we should definitely do it again. There may need to be a part two of this. Um, <laughs> it, it's always fun to get together and talk shop. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's what, that's, that's what, uh, this was all about. So, uh, Rich, how can people get a hold of you? Uh, I I'm on LinkedIn, Richard S. Baird. Um, you can also get my Instagram, Twitter at rich recruiting. Cool. Yeah. All right, man. Well, it was a pleasure speaking with you. You take care Likewise, of yourself out there. Pleasure as always, man. All right, man. We'll talk soon. All right. Sounds good. Thank you for joining us on the Sales Career Leveling Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and if you would be so kind, share this podcast with a fellow sales professional. If you are a sales professional and would like to connect, have a guest and or topic suggestion, please find Chris Stinson and Michael G. Cox on LinkedIn or email careerleveling at gmail.com.